you need to start at square one, which is to pursue a larger view of Christ, understanding that yes, obedience and assurance are best friends. And if you pursue sin, assurance will quickly disappear. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part three, the final teaching on the series, Blessed Assurance, from Pastor Paul Twiss. The Apostle John's first letter, chapters one through five, will be pastor's primary text. A Christian's assurance of salvation can be fragile, says Pastor Paul. So we've invited him back to dialogue about this. So, hi, Pastor. Hi, Matt. When we last spoke, you said there are significant implications for Christians who lack salvation assurance. In fact, many struggle with this. That's right. I was concerned with just how widespread the issue is, a lack of assurance, and that's why I first preached on the topic back in 2018. And of course, the Apostle John was concerned with the issue as well. He returns to the topic of assurance throughout his epistle. We understand that false teachers had been amongst the church to whom John is writing, and they seem to be denying that Christ had been truly human and truly God. Therefore, he didn't offer atonement for sinners when he died on the cross. Today, in the 21st century, again, many Christians lack assurance, oftentimes because of their disobedience, sometimes a preoccupation with past sins, or perhaps because they're experiencing some kind of trial in their life. Now, I've given this advice before. If assurance comes from our faith, the very best thing to do is to feed your faith by gazing upon the person of Christ. Thanks, Pastor Paul, for that distinct clarification. Here now, part three and the conclusion of our series, Blessed Assurance. Regeneration justification, adoption, union with Christ. These are the primary truths that flow out of the cross. And we have to pursue them. We have to give our attention to them. Here's where I would argue that we all struggle with assurance. You came this morning maybe as someone who says, you know what, Praise the Lord, I don't struggle with assurance. Maybe you've been confident of your salvation from day one. And of course, don't misunderstand me, we're grateful for that blessing. But the problem, I think, is that we often think about assurance in a, in a very... We think about it in the wrong way. We ask the wrong question. So somebody comes to me and says, I'm struggling with assurance. What do you mean by that? Maybe they would say, you know, I just don't know if I'm saved. I just don't know that my sins are forgiven. I'm just not sure that I'm going to heaven. We think about assurance in a very small way, and I think this comes about through a a reduction of the gospel itself that happened over the course of the last hundred years. What you see with primarily huge evangelistic rallies, preaching the gospel, wonderful works, and I'm sure many people genuinely say through those, But what happened over time is that the gospel was reduced to simply a transactionary affair. 
put your faith in Christ, sins are forgiven, and we're good. And of course, forgiveness of sins is the entrance into the gospel. The gospel is far bigger than we can get our heads around. Forgiveness of sins is one aspect of it that gets us entrance into a relationship with God. And I think not that I've seen anyone kind of tease this relationship out. As we reduce the gospel over the course of the last hundred years, so also that's affected our understanding of assurance. And so now we ask the question, how can I know that I'm going to heaven? How can I know that I'm saved? My sins are forgiven. And we would do far better to ask the question, what does it mean to be in union with Christ? What does it mean to be in a relationship with God? And here is where I would argue all of us, whether we understand it or not, struggle with assurance. By that, I mean there is not one person in this room who has fully explored the riches of what it means to be in a relationship with God. There is none of us that fully understands the glory of being in union with Jesus Christ. And though you may not doubt your salvation and where you're going to be on the last day, we all of us must pursue a fuller knowledge of our relationship with Christ, understanding that that will bring about more joy in worship, more zeal in service, humility in fellowship, and on and on it goes. John says, by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one that says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, but whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God has been perfected. By this we know that we are in him, the one who says that he abides in him ought to walk, just as this one walked. Beloved, I'm not writing you a new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning, and the old commandment is the word that you heard. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is fading and the light is the true light is already shining. The one who says that is in the light and hates his brother is in the darkness until now. Uh, the one that loves his brother abides in the light, and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness. He walks in the darkness, and he doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Okay, we finally get to the issue of obedience, it would seem. Again, I'm still going to argue that actually John's trying to encourage them and not saying, I see disobedience in you. He's actually trying to encourage them and saying, this is true of you, and the false teachers were doing something else. But... Granted, there's an implied imperative here, an implied command, uh, namely to obey God's word and to love each other. They're the two pillars of John's Christianity. Not that it's any different from anywhere else in the New Testament, but the themes he majors on are obedience to the word and love for the brothers. A high level of assurance is not compatible with a low level of obedience. A high level of assurance is not compatible with a low level of obedience. You will not enjoy assurance if there is sin ongoing in your life. The Holy Spirit will not be pleased to testify to your soul that you are in Christ if there is ongoing sin in your life. And that makes perfect sense. If you play out that scenario to the very end, if you live a disobedient life to the very end, even though you say, I'm a Christian, on the last day, Jesus is going to say, your life never showed that you're a Christian. And in fact, you've evidenced yourself to be unsaved. 
And so it makes perfect sense that if you are pursuing sin, at that moment in time, the Holy Spirit will not give you a sense of assurance. High levels of assurance are not compatible with low levels of obedience. However, listen carefully. The way in which we fix that problem is not to say you have to obey more in order to enjoy assurance. The way in which we fix that problem is not to say, okay, there's sin in your life, and the Bible tells me that high levels of assurance are incompatible with low levels of obedience. You need to obey more in order to enjoy more assurance. The way I say it is that obedience and assurance are friends. Obedience is not the parent of assurance. Obedience doesn't beget assurance. Obedience doesn't give birth to assurance. They're friends. It's not a parent-child relationship, but actually both of them, obedience and assurance, are fruits of faith. Both of them arise out of faith. And so here we are back at square one. If you want to enjoy assurance, you need to feed your faith. If there is disobedience in your life, start by pursuing a larger view of Christ. Don't mishear me. I am not saying that obedience doesn't matter. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be a fight in every Christian's life for holiness. We must beat our body into submission. You need to cut off your hand and pluck out your eye and do whatever it takes to get yourself under God's word in obedience. But obedience is not the parent of assurance. And this is where we get it so wrong so often in in counseling scenarios. I heard somebody say assurance is like a three-wheeled bicycle, commonly called a tricycle, and uh, the front wheel, a big wheel, is faith. The back two wheels, which are much smaller, are obedience and the testimony of the Holy Spirit. And what we do is we try and take that back wheel and put it on the front as if that's the primary concern. Self-examination will only get you so far. It's a worthwhile pursuit. The Bible commends us to examine ourselves to see if we're truly in the faith, but it will only get you so far. You need to start at square one, which is to pursue a larger view of Christ, understanding that, yes, obedience and assurance are best friends. And if you pursue sin, assurance will quickly disappear. And I think John is even tapping into that logic in this text. Look again at verse 6. He says, The one who says he abides ought to walk as this one walked, as he walked, namely Jesus Christ. We'll hear again possibly some repetition. John just told us that if you make a claim like this, then you need to be obedient. Your life needs to match up with it. So the question is, well, why then is he repeating himself again? I don't think it's mere repetition. I think he's changing the angle again, and he's showing us, he's bringing into view Jesus Christ. He's purposely restating that principle that if you make the claim, your life needs to match up with it. But he's doing it in such a way that as the reader, yet again, we're reminded of the person of Christ. First John is one of the most Christological letters in the New Testament. He's just showing us Jesus over and over and over again. Why? Because the aim of the letter is to give his readers assurance. Okay, what would be main hindrances to assurance. So we've talked about pursuing a larger view of Christ. We've talked about the doctrines that flow out from the cross. And we've talked about the nature of obedience. 
The hindrances to assurance would be primarily, I think of them in terms of internal and external. Internal means things going on in your heart that might cause you to doubt, and external meaning things going on around you. The external we've probably covered in one way or another. They would be your circumstances. Though we don't preach the prosperity gospel here, we all nurture it in our hearts. To some degree, we all believe that because I'm a Christian, God should give me a good life. It's in there, and how quickly that doctrine can come to the fore when things don't go our way, and that's when we start to question whether we are in right standing with God. Am I really accepted by God because this is happening to me? Circumstances are not a measure of assurance.、Uh, closely related afflictions, your circumstances, just personal afflictions, health issues, miscarriages, things that happen in a broken, sin-cursed world—they're not a measure of your standing with God. Now, God can discipline a believer. He can discipline a believer, but it's always with the purpose of bringing them to a, a better state of standing with Him, that a better walk, a better level of obedience in their life. It's not an indication that He doesn't accept you, that you're no longer in union with Him. And then the third external would be, as I've already said today, neglecting the means of grace. Do not neglect the means of grace that God has given to you. Read the Scripture. Seek communion with God and show up to church. It is so simple. Okay, internal, little bit more complicated. What might be going on in our hearts to rob us of our assurance? Well, one is that all of us are prone towards a works-based relationship, a works-based salvation. We have this compass in our heart that keeps wanting to reset to a north that says, "I need to work to earn God's favor." You can't. Work to earn God's favor. We're saved by why the doctrines of grace are so important to return to over and over again to remind ourselves this is all of Him and not of me, because the tendency over time is always to try and earn God's favor. And if you're trying to earn God's favor, then who knows whether you're saved or not? It calls the whole issue of salvation into question. That is exactly what the Catholic Church teaches. But another is that we are all suspicious of God. We tend to be suspicious of God. I think this is even knit into the Genesis three narrative.、Uh, think about that encounter with Adam and Eve and the serpent. The very first thing that the serpent does is to undermine the integrity of God. The first thing he does, besides simply trying to get these guys to eat of the fruit and to disobey, he's undermining the character of God. Did God really say? Let me just question his goodness. Let me question. What he was doing with you there? Let me make you suspicious of him. And as Adam and Eve sinned and pursued that sin, I believe there's a suspicion of God that's then introduced into the human heart and is there forevermore until Christ returns. This is why it's really good thing to do to study the character of God on a regular basis. I mean, there are so many good books out there simply setting forth the attributes of God, and we need to remind our Fickle hearts of who God truly is. When I was、uh, serving on the submarines, you get this small locker. I mean, it really is. I mean, that's about the size of it. And you open it, and anything you can get in there, that's what you're allowed to take away with you on the three to four month deployment. So I would just fill my locker with Christian books, knowing that boredom is the biggest enemy down there. And 
Knowing God, I read when I first got saved. And in the opening, in the preface or the introduction, he makes mention of this other book. And he says, few people would ever give the time and energy to read Stephen Charnock's Attributes of God. And I read that, and it was like a red rag to a boy. I was like, okay, I'm going to read it. And the Submarine Patrol gave me opportunity to do it. Two volumes, at least at the time. I think they've combined it into one now. Huge. Small print, page after page after page, hundreds of pages on every attribute of God. And I read that over the course of three months, and it changed my understanding of God. It made me realize I did not know the God that I claimed to serve. And it's a book that's on my shelf, and I regularly go back to it. Because we do need to remind ourselves of the true character of God to fight the suspicion that is in our hearts that would cause us to doubt him that would cause us to doubt the promises that he has given to us in Scripture. We tend to doubt the fact that our justification is accomplished now. So another tendency in our heart is that we tend to think God's declaration of justification is yet future. And that when we get there, that's when it will be made, and I think he's going to say that I'm justified Whereas the biblical truth is it has been made at the point of salvation, never to be changed, which means right now, this very minute, God is declaring that you are accepted, that he keeps pronouncing into your life, you are fully accepted, justified, declared righteous. Right now, oceans and oceans and oceans of God's love is being channeled into your life. God could not love you any more than he does right now. And it's not because you showed up to church today. It's not because you read your Bible every day this week. It's because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And he has made that declaration at a definite point in history, and it's never going to change. And we tend to think it remains to be seen whether we're justified. And then the last one would be that we aren't, certain that we have indeed been given the victory over sin. So if you go on in 1 John, he talks about the the conquerors, the overcomers, us. Because we've been knit together with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection, we now have a different relationship to sin. Sin still carries on in our life because there's sin in the flesh. But remember, your heart now is one that loves God. You have a different heart altogether. You're a new creation. And though there may be manifestations of sin in your life, you have a fundamentally different relationship to sin. And you have been given the victory. And then the responsibility we have is to strive towards holiness for the rest of our life. The Heidelberg Catechism was written in 1563. It's just a wonderful catechism, overlooked and forgotten because of the Westminster Catechism, which is more popular and and better known. When you read the Heidelberg Catechism, what you see is that the tone is very different to the Westminster. It's far more pastoral. Question one of the Heidelberg Catechism is, what is my only comfort in life and in death? What is my only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is that I am not my own, but that I belong to my precious Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all of my sins with his precious blood. He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. 
He watches over me such that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of the Father. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I am his, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life. And he makes me ready and willing to live wholeheartedly for him from now on. I think that's one of the most glorious confessional truths that was ever written. And did you notice that it's predicated upon the doctrine of assurance? I mean, think even just what a catechism is. You're trying to instill knowledge, and it opens, what is your only comfort in life and in death that I am not my own? And the assumption is that you know this to be true, that I don't belong to me. And so it goes on. If you've come this morning and you don't think you're struggling with assurance, my encouragement is that we all need to strive to, as one commentator said, to bring Christ closer. We all have a responsibility to bring Christ closer. Because when Christ looms large, assurance abounds. And as we're faithful to pursue a larger view of Christ, understanding that assurance is a fruit of faith and the very best thing we can do is to nurture our faith. And when we focus particularly on the doctrines that flow out of the cross of regeneration and justification and adoption and union with Christ, and when we understand that obedience is the friend of assurance, and if you're not living an obedient life, then assurance will quickly disappear. But yet obedience is not the parent of assurance. And when you're mindful that, yes, you have a particular set of circumstances around you, and yes, you have your own personality, and yes, you have a history, all of which might affect the level of assurance you enjoy, when you're mindful of the fact that our main role is not to change those things, but to simply nurture our faith through a sustained view of Christ on the cross, then over time, I trust that the Lord in his kindness will grant you increasing levels of assurance. And when we enjoy that, then we will know greater joy in worship, more intimacy in prayer, greater levels of humility in our fellowship, and more zeal in our service. Father, thank you so much for First John and so many other passages that we could have been in this morning that teach us about assurance. We're so grateful for this blessing that's available to have a confidence and a certainty that we are in union with Christ, having been redeemed, saved, and we're destined for glory. And I do pray for all of us, without exception, that we would know and enjoy that blessing. It's available. Please, Father, work in our lives that we would enjoy high levels of assurance, that we would be disciplined to feed our faith, looking to Christ and his cross, pursuing obedient lives. And may it be to the praise of your glory. Amen. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. Do you feel you've been given victory over sin? Well, that's biblical. But it's not biblical to declare yourself sinless. John the Apostle said this in chapter 1. If we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. When Christ's blood has atoned for our sins, we can overcome besetting sins. Don't let life's distractions keep you from going farther in your walk with Jesus. To hear more on this life-changing message, go to TimelessTruthToday.org, click Broadcast, 
There you'll find a huge audio archive of Pastor Paul's teachings on Jesus Christ. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twist, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. Did you know you can be part of bringing this life-changing message to thousands of listeners? As a listener supporter, your financial gift makes you a part of what God is doing through this outreach ministry to share the good news of Jesus. So to make your gift of any amount, simply go to TimelessTruthToday.org and select Donate. Thank you for your consideration. Tomorrow it's a brand new series. We start with part one of Skillful Living, Introducing Proverbs. Hope you'll join us then. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today.